I'm Dana Davenport, and welcome to Finding Common Ground, where we focus on important current events and how they impact our diverse population. We are many voices of one community, often with strong opinions on every side of an issue. And I'm Rebecca Malatke-Meslin. In this episode, we're sitting down with business owners, elected officials, and community members to talk about all that has transpired since businesses reopened at the end of July. Some think the current restrictions put in place by Governor Pritzker and the Restore Illinois plan don't go far enough, while others think the measures threaten our economy and our freedoms. Here, through courageous conversations in the interest of discovering collaborative solutions, we hope to find our common ground. Joining us now are Gabriela Trejo, one of the co-owners of Paris Bistro in Naperville, and Dr. Mimi Cowan, Will County Speaker of the Board, District 11. Thank you ladies so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Gabriella, how is your restaurant business and other local businesses, how have they been faring six months into the COVID pandemic? It's been really bad for most of us. Um, Restaurant business uh, and um, any other business that are around our uh, restaurant, you know, it's affecting um, a lot because people doesn't go out. They not, they are not allowed to go and buy stuff um, until they start reopening us. The only thing that make us survive is the curbside, but it's not the same. As much as we wanted to have um, the business open, no, it's not the same, but we try. We have a lot of support from our community, to be honest. They've been very supportive. Uh, they try to order um, as much as they, they can and that's pretty much what it makes us go through the reopening. So you're saying curbside is a strong part of your business right now? It was before yeah. we opened. Yeah. It was before we opened. Now, once we open, it slows down a little bit. And it's only when it's raining or it depends on the weather. Sometimes the weekends, it's, it's, it's better. But, yeah, it's, it's not the same. What percentage of your business would you say is curbside? Oof. The... Percentage will be like probably 10%. 10%? Yes. What are some of the measures that you've had to take to ensure that your staff and your patrons are are able to be safe when they're dining at your restaurant? Even before the pandemic, you got to take care of your customers because their life is on your hands. Not only the customers, your employees as well, and your family. We already have that before the pandemic. Okay. Now with the pandemic, the only thing we can do is increase everything. Like I, I told everybody, I told my employees, call me the clean, clean, clean girl because that's pretty much what I, <laughs> what I say all the time. Clean, 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 that's what we need to do. But I mean, there's something that we used to do before because like I say, we are, everybody's life is in our hands. Mm-hmm. How have other businesses um, that you're familiar with, Mimi, um, been impacted? Well, I think this is a story we've heard repeated um, from a lot of local businesses. Um, Obviously, at the beginning, um, many businesses, especially retail organizations, as well as as restaurants, um, were deeply affected by the initial pretty strict 
uh, shutdowns, and that has relaxed uh, somewhat. But I think restaurants are really still one of the most struggling industries, and along with um, tourism and hospitality, I think those are two other areas that are still really feeling some struggles. And you know, those struggles aren't divorced from the reality that we face as elected officials and having to make decisions, um, because that's where tax revenue comes from as right. well. So it's not just having empathy for our business owners, which of course we do, but there's a real bottom line, uh, not just for the business owners, but for our community as a whole, um, that we really have to make sure we're balancing all of these different things. We need everyone to be safe. We need everyone to be healthy so that they're there to um, enjoy di- dining out and travel right. and all those things. Um, but we, we also need to make sure that we're supporting our economy. What are you hearing most from business owners in terms of if they're reaching out for help from the county? um, What what kinds of things are you hearing from them? Well, I think most business owners are looking for a way to make sure that, like Gabriella said, that their employees and their customers are safe um, because they know that is in the long term the real focus of their business. If they can't provide a safe environment for their customers, whether it's Home Depot or or Paris Bistro, Mm -hmm. they know that they have to provide that for their customers. So there's a lot of questions about how, especially at first, a lot of questions about how do we make people safe? How do we keep people safe? I wanted to ask the clean, clean, clean. The clean, clean, clean girl. Um, have you had any instances of COVID reported um, at your at your restaurant? Not so right now. So the so taking some of those precautions, taking those measures, um, pays off. Yes. Um, by keeping people safe, which I think is great. So thank you for all that you do to keep oh. people safe. You and other restaurants out there that really take uh, the restrictions seriously and, and enforce them. What has surprised you and your staff um, and patrons most about? how well you've handled the pandemic and your response to it. Like you say at the beginning, um, they clean, like they, um, they're tank us all the time because they see the place is clean. Um, we're caring about um, handle the things, we're washing our hands, we have sanitizer all over. Um, we have the, the sanitizer bottle for the tables, the doors, we actually do the doors most yeah. of the time as much as we can because uh, it's, it's the touching stuff. Mm-hmm. So then uh, we clean the doors. Um, the bar area where people came and pick up their, their food. So we clean that as much as, as we can as well. Um, and that's pretty much what we try to do. The only problem we have had is uh, when people don't want to wear their mask. Right. So that is the only problem. But I mean, they don't want to wear their mask, sorry, but they have to leave. Cause how, does, how does that affect your employees? Because I think we've heard a lot about um, people not following that guideline. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's that worry that you have young employees, possibly mm-hmm. kids who are in high school or college, mm-hmm. um, being confronted by an adult who doesn't want to wear their mask. And there can be conflict. And, and talk, has there been situations like that at your restaurant? Oh, yeah. So I have a customer that walk uh, through the restaurant, going through the bathroom and say, I don't have a mask. You can call the police. And walk to the, through the bathroom. And then my son and I, we try to catch him, but he he get into the bathroom. So I wait for him um, at the door. So because we had three doors and then, then the, the one that goes in the bathroom so he can get out from there. So and not cross the, not cross the restaurant without the mask. So I waited for, for him there. And then uh, when he came out, so he's like, I, 
I told him, sir, you cannot go through here. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, because those are the guidelines. And he say, and he pushed my hand and I think the noise of the glasses kind of like back him up because he was a little boss. So then he's like, you guys are crazy. The government is crazy and you guys are nuts. And then but we made him leave. And my, my son goes to the table and says, sir, you had to close your uh, tab and leave. You know, you know and I, I mean, think that's, that's a really unfortunate part of this whole thing too, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, if, if we want to support our business owners, mm-hmm. we should have enough respect for them and their employees that if a business owner or a staff person says to you politely, you need to put on a mask, to not be a jerk about it yeah. to their face. Mm-hmm. I, you're only making their job harder. Right. You know, yeah. if you have your own personal opinions about whether it works or not, that's up to you. But when you're in somebody else's establishment, presumably there to support them, and right. I'm sure you're saying, oh, we need to support our economy, let's at least be human and decent to each other yeah. about that moment and, and accept that this is tough for everyone. Right. Um, and that I think we all need to show an extra level of grace and kindness to one another yeah. um, and, and support. It's important. It's so important. Well, and for those folks who are out, and we've we've talked about this a lot, that are out and are wearing their masks, um, and they see others that aren't, um, and they start to feel unsafe, they're not going to patronize those businesses. They're going to step back and step away, um, which then has another effect, right? That rolling effect of um, negativity on businesses, because even the patrons who you do want to see who are following the rules then get scared away, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a ripple effect because if there's those people don't come to patronize Mm -hmm. the businesses, the businesses make less money. Right. Um, And then all of the people who rely on the businesses being uh, fully stocked, fully, you know, at capacity, um, all of your suppliers you know, yeah. who, who you work with it. So there's just a domino effect. Um, and that can, that can come from just, you know, a few people not wanting to wear a mask or just kind of that beginning. And, and it just trickles all the way right. down. And I think a lot of people are talking about restaurants as though they're this, uh, standalone entity that right, is right. unaffected by other. Right. And so yeah, I right. think we have to all be thinking about how, um, it isn't just about, I want to go out to eat. Yeah. Right. The fact that I'm coming to your business means that I'm also helping, uh, those supplier businesses, right? The people that are supplying linens to businesses, the people yes. that are supplying the vegetables to businesses, That's right? And when they don't have that business, those are also suffering in that space. So it isn't just about going out to eat. Mm-hmm. I think we have to think about it as that that web of um, the economy. And and a lot of times we don't think about those things. We don't think about how that it's being impacted. Well, and to the, you you make an excellent point. And and I kind of mentioned this earlier, but to that point, Naperville relies on. Um, taxes from restaurant and bar sales yes. for a huge part of the budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody wants to see higher property taxes. Right. Um, so we have to make sure we're still getting that tax yeah. revenue from restaurants and bars. Um, yes. And it will affect at a certain point um, count, uh, city services yeah, right. and county services. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's part of the reason early on in this, um, Mayor Cherico and a lot of the city council members and, and allied people and organizations really pushed hard on, hey, everybody, 
order takeout, get curbside. And yeah. I think they had a hashtag about it and everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're cognizant of, of what these small businesses mean to our economy. Like you said, it's not just Gabriella's restaurant. It's not just Gabriella's restaurant and employees. It's right. actually quite a large web. Yes. Yep. Um, we're, we're all interconnected in this. Very much yes. so. And I hope that people can see more of their part and more of their role in it. Um, Definitely. I think that's important. Are you getting pushback from business owners? Yep. Yeah? Sure. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In what way? <laughs> Tell us more about that. Well, you know, um, the county is not there to, we're, we're not the ones who are making the rules. Right. Yeah. Um, but the health department does have the responsibility to enforce the rules yeah. um, to a certain degree. Um, so, you know, the pushback we've heard is more um, concern about maybe how the numbers are being calculated and, and wanting them to be calculated a different way or, um, you know, just general pushback against this, you know, someone's opinion that these mitigation f factors don't help or, or something. And my response to that is, well, you know, let's give this a shot. And um, if this doesn't work, we can try something else. Right. But, you know, this is a new territory for all of us, uh, including the public health officials. Um, and I do really believe that everyone is trying their best to, to do the right thing. And, um, and I know for some small business owners, um, their best is trying to keep their business afloat. Right. So yeah. I have to respect that, that feeling and, and that concern for them, too. Um, but this is where we're at right now. Yeah. And so I think it would behoove us all to try to get the train back on the tracks. Mm. So what have you seen in terms of um, businesses closing? Has there been, I mean, I think we're, we're hearing and seeing some businesses that have shut their doors. Um, I felt like it was a, there was a little more of an uptick right when COVID hit, yeah. maybe a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just curious what you've heard about that or, or um, Gabriella, also what maybe you've seen in, in among your peer restaurants and, and community members. Yeah, you can, you, can, you can tell it's a lot of people that is being closing, a lot of restaurants, even our, our uh, food vendors are the ones that are telling us, oh, you know, I mean, I lost so-and-so uh, account, the, this uh, area closed and this restaurant closed, and it, it's been brutal, very bad. Yeah, and I think um, I don't have the exact numbers of what kind of business loss we've seen, like permanent loss, um, but certainly throughout this whole thing, unemployment has been right. a big concern, right? Yeah. Um, that businesses aren't open or aren't having the business that they normally had, so they have to lay off people or furlough people, whatever that is. And um, the the unemployment numbers were pretty striking the first couple of months, but they have come down. And um, especially in the restaurant industry, nice. there are people Incredible. going back to work. And um, I know that one of the transitions we're actually seeing is that a lot of restaurant staff who haven't been hired back are actually switching to other industries for employment. Um, and I don't really have a, whether that's good or bad, mm -hmm. um, a, a quantifier on that, but um, I think there's some shifts in the labor market. Um, and uh, we certainly want to get people employed. People want to work. Um, that is, yeah. is definitely clear. Yeah. And um, so we want to make sure we have opportunities to give people. And I think people are definitely pivoting yeah. um, and, and making changes. Do you think businesses won't survive um, the late fall and winter, given some of the limited capacity guidelines that we're under now? 
I mean, I think it goes without question that we're going to lose some businesses. Yeah. We're going to permanently lose some businesses. Um, my goal is to get this, to get our act together, get it together. so that we can mitigate those losses, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, because that's not just the economy. It's also somebody's dream. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It's somebody's dream and it's somebody's baby. And, and none of us want to see that. Right. Um, but I think to that end, um, the federal government, the state government and the local governments are, are doing some things to help. Um, and if you don't mind my giving a little pitch for this. Yeah. Um, so we have the CARES Act funding. Um, and so that's the federal bill that was passed to help. Uh, well, it did a lot of things having to do with, with COVID. But one of the repercussions is that uh, Will County received $121 million to uh, distribute in the county to businesses, to organizations, to nonprofits, to local governments to help mitigate some of these financial challenges. Um, DuPage County also received a substantial amount. It was based on population. If you had an area that was over 500,000, uh, they got a chunk of the money. So both DuPage and Will uh, qualified for this. And um, so we were able to start um, dispersing money to local governments. So to cover their COVID related expenses and our um, applications for small businesses are open now until the 28th. So um, not too much longer. We might do a second round. We think we will probably still have money left over. Um, so we want to make sure all the businesses in the area have a chance to apply for those funds. And that helps um, sort of in the same way that the PPP was intended to help um, to offset COVID-related expenses. Um, and then nonprofits and, and some other areas where that funding is going to go. And mm -hmm. then also the state has the BIG grants and I don't, I'm not as familiar with the details of those, but, um, local business owners who are looking for support should definitely Google BIG grants, Illinois. Um, if you're in Will County and your business is in Will County, uh, go to willcountyillinois.com backslash cares dash act. And, uh, the applications are right there. Um, we have some great partner organizations that have been helping us get the word out. Um, Naperville Area Chamber, uh, all the, the municipal chambers have been helpful. The Will County Center for Economic Development has been incredibly helpful. So we're really trying to push that message out and make sure we get to small business owners so that they know the assistance is out there. That's good. That is so good. Um, what are your hopes for the future of your business and some of the other businesses that are out there? The business is, is there, you know, and every single business is productive. Uh, the only thing is like, she say, um, with everybody cooperating and getting all together, so this can be successful. Um, I keep telling my neighbors um, around the area, don't close. It doesn't matter if you guys make the minimum. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. So just keep going and keep going and keep going. Yes. Because if you close, it's harder for you to reopen. That's right. If you stay open, even with the minimum that you have, you can stay open. That's that's what I think, mm -hmm. and that's what I see. Well, and similarly, I, you know, it's the small businesses that make our community what it is, right? I live yeah. walking distance to Paris Bistro, and over there is Hula Hands, too. Hula Hands is fine. That's great. Hula Hands is going to survive, right. right? But what makes our neighborhood special are places like Paris Bistro. Right. So my hope is that we can hold on to those small businesses and give them the support that they need yeah. in order to make it through this. Wearing yeah. your mask. That's right. Getting your curbside. That's right. Yes. Um, yeah. Wash their hands. Yeah. 
use sanitizer. Be polite, I mean, be kind, be supportive. That too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, that's a lot of people. It has been though. Like seriously, it's a, we have a very nice community, and they help us a lot. Well, thank you both so much for joining us and sharing your experiences. Um, and we look forward to talking with a few more of our community members when we come back on the next segment of Finding Common Ground. Wearing my mask is just part of my routine now just like wearing my seatbelt. Wearing a mask should be just as routine as brushing your teeth. Wearing a mask for me has become as routine as that first cup of coffee in the morning. As routine as checking my email. I grab my mask every morning just like I grab my car keys. Wearing a mask has been just as routine as putting on your shoes in the morning. Wearing a mask has become as routine as going on a daily walk. Just as routine as having dinner. Wearing a mask is just as routine as having story time with my kids. So make it part of your routine. Please mask up, Naperville. Your voice, your vote. In our democracy, they matter. Make yours count. Get registered, learn the issues, and vote by or on November 3rd. Visit vote411.org. This message is furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Want to get more eyes on your business while supporting Naperville's nonprofit TV station? Advertise on NCTV17.com, which draws tens of thousands of viewers each week for the latest in local news, sports, and events. Or put an ad in NCTV17 News Update, an email sent to thousands of subscribers every Monday through Friday. Visit NCTV17.com slash advertising for details. Welcome back to Finding Common Ground. We have with us today two community members, Karen Peck and Josh McBroom. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you guys doing today? Thank you. Good. Thank Very you for good. inviting us. So we're going to talk a little bit about the reopening, and we know that you guys have very different opinions about how Naperville and maybe the state of Illinois have reopened. So talk to us a little bit about how you think that Naperville and Illinois have fared in the last six months. Well, I think Illinois has done considerably better than uh, two-thirds of the states in the country. So, you know, it's not great. We still had 540 deaths in DuPage alone. We're almost at 200,000 deaths countrywide. Yeah. But as far as Illinois is concerned, I think we're doing better than 30, about two-thirds of the rest of the country. Do you want to know what I think about Illinois? Yes, yeah. we do. <laughs> So common theme here, I've got to know Karen a little bit. I really like her, but we don't agree on anything, which is okay. <laughs> That's not you true. We both like yoga. That's right. <laughs> don't say that. That's the next episode. Yeah. It's yeah. a yeah. cool thing to like. It's, That's it's your common okay. ground. We'll, we're, we'll, start, yeah. we'll start there. We'll start we there. We found common ground. Common ground, common ground, ground already. Done. We're good. So, we're good. Um, no, I, I, Illinois, I, I don't want to get in a data tit for tat, but um, I mean, you can look at other states and you can see per capita death rates. I, I, I don't think, I think, especially in um, states that have had severe lockdown, uh, like Illinois, um, you're not seeing a big uh, uh, a benefit or a risk-reward benefit from, you know, like a neighboring state like a Wisconsin. I mean, if you look at per capita death and, uh, and when you take into account excess deaths and, and all the other costs, and so people like myself who, who looked at this from the beginning and have continued to look at data, and still kind of scratch our head and say, hey, why, why are we considering, continuing to be so aggressive on 
some of these measures um, because cost has never been uh, really allowed to be a, a part of the discussion, in my opinion, or, or to a large degree. And, uh, you know, financial devastation, obviously, that's one that everyone knows and can see we're all going to pay for it. Um, you know, even us that are in, uh, considered essential businesses, which I've always hated that term, we're going to pay for that. Um, but, you know, kids, mental health, uh, suicide, depression, all those things. Uh, for me, I, I saw in the beginning, these things are coming. And, um, and I just think the risk reward calculation, and I, I, don't, I don't think so. There's a lot of deaths in Illinois. I don't, I don't think we've done a, a great well, job. I think it's a matter of not confusing causation and correlation. This is an awful pandemic. The last one was 100 years ago. We have incredible stress on everybody. So it's going to cause people to be upset and lose work and feel isolated. I don't think it has to do with whether a, a state or a county is locked down, quote unquote, because we never really locked. But it's a pandemic. The problem is coming from that. The isolation is coming from that. Suicide's a really key issue. It's important. Let's make sure we're addressing those needs in our community. But it's not coming from a lockdown. It's coming from the fact that people have relatives dying. People have worries about the uncertainty of living in this time. We are living in a really uncertain time. Yeah. We don't know what next month's going to look like. We don't know what next year's going to look like. So I think it's important not to say, oh, it's the way the, uh, the, the governor is running the state or that state. A lot of the pain and a lot of the suffering has to do with the fact that we are dealing with a novel coronavirus. Right. The only thing I would, I would differ with you on that is I, I, I couldn't say that coronavirus caused unemployment. I can say that our public reaction to it did. Now, that doesn't mean we should have just let it go and we should have done nothing. But for me to say a pandemic caused this pain and suffering, um, whether you believe that the measures taken were the right thing to do or not, those measures were what caused the, it was the reaction to our fear, whether it was rational or not, uh, to the pandemic that caused the, all that we can do a long list of, you know, Josh, what do you right? think, what do you think we've done well in Illinois? Not a lot. Really? I, I don't, I, what can we point, what data can we point to that says we've done better than um, a lot of these states that didn't have these harsh lockdowns? Uh, we're number 11, I think, on the per capita death. The, no, the we're, highest, we're closer to the bottom third, we're, we're state the, by state. Based on what metrics? Cases or? Deaths per adjusted population. Okay, well, we can look it up later. I just looked it up. I, I just looked it up, too. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you 11. did. We're number 11. But, yeah. Well, this yeah. has been a major so. point of contention, I think, for a lot of folks, both our government officials as well as our community members, that the way in which we're looking at data, right, and how we're interpreting that is being skewed in, in lots of different ways. And I think there's also a concern about where the source is coming from, how it's being reported out, how it might be used in a way to benefit some instead of others, and also in decision making. So I think that's a real frustration for, for everyone um, mm -hmm. because it's, it, you know, we'd like to point to data to just say, let's, let's clear the air, let's make this a definitive decision, but it's being skewed and interpreted in all sorts of different ways. Right. Um, so when we talk about, you know, hindsight's 2020, um, but 
if we all were able to have a time machine and go back, let's talk about what you think should have been done differently, maybe at the very beginning of all of this. Oh. What, what at the very beginning, the problem isn't so much what we did do, but what we didn't do as a country. The, there's an utter failure of leadership at the top. Uh, downplaying, denying, lying, and we've heard recent information come out that this is something the leader knew and chose to keep from the, the people. Uh, and I've seen estimates that say just seven weeks earlier would have saved literally tens of thousands of lives. So what should we have done? We should have locked down sooner. We should have not made mask wearing a political issue. I just read a statistic uh, right before I came over that said we can avoid severe lockdown if just if 80 percent of the population will wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And wear them and, correctly. And wear it correctly, yes. And, you know, Czech Republic, for example, was able to do this. China has mask usage. Mm -hmm. America has a different personality. Countries, just like people, have personalities. Mm -hmm. And our personality is very independent, very self-focused. And that is part of the problem. But what could have been done differently? We should have been mitigating this right away. It should have been at a national level, not uh, relegated down to a state-by-state -state level where every state is doing something different. Their playbooks are all different. Had we had a national testing, tracing, and isolation campaign, national, clear, truthful information, I think we would not have been in the situation. We'd look more like the other... Sweden? Sweden is a poor example because okay. there's a lot of misinformation going out out there. Okay, so Sweden is not doing very well economically. Their mitigation methods, which were zero, did not save them economically. But you look at other countries who are first world countries, and they are way ahead of us. I mean, 200,000 deaths. We're going to be 400,000 by Christmas. It's unacceptable. Any death is unacceptable. But this was purposeful negligence. What, for what political you, reasons. What do you think you would have done differently? You know, the data has shown us now we know who is susceptible, susceptible very susceptible to becoming very ill and death. We kind of knew that in the beginning. We have the data now. Um, it is unprecedented to think that we would shut down, you know, tell businesses you have to close, quarantine healthy people. Uh, it's never been done before in the history, maybe the 904, whatever the flu, but it, it is an unprecedented act. And why we didn't, now the major failure was nursing homes, right? I mean, Sweden, I think is, a, depending on the data you look at, right? And, and like what Rebecca said, I think people are, are, are definitely fed up with, here's cherry pick data, here's cherry pick data. You know what, I'm done, I'm just gonna live my life. And I'm gonna make choices that I think are safe for my family and myself. Um, we have an election year. Obviously, you think there's politics involved. Uh, there certainly is to uh, a great de degree. Um, I, would, I, would, I would look at the states that still have severe lockdowns with no data. And, and you know, I know we're not talking about school uh, today, but I mean, I think it ties into the economy. I, mean, I was talking to a friend today where he has employees that are quitting or he can't get people to work because they have to stay home with their kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, looking at uh, in the spring, child, child abuse uh, reporting cases were down 60%. I mean, what's happening? We know what's happening. You know, the people that aren't seeing these kids who normally report these things are not reporting them. Um, nutrition, um, 
you know, the mental health of kids. I mean, that, that, that alone, you look at that and it's, it's undeniable to look at youth and say that they have any real risk of illness uh, to this virus and make them pay the price to what I see so adults can feel safe. Well, the problem is kids don't live in isolation. They go home to parents. They see grandparents. They are with their teachers. So if the virus is in the community, it will be in the schools. Maybe. And we've seen that at the universities now. They've A number of them, Georgia and um, North Carolina, Carolina have opened and they, they have thousands of cases now within one week. Okay. Now, and I'm not saying you, your idea of shutdown or lockdown might be different than mine. Tons of people are still working, but true, 30 million people are unemployment now because of the way this was handled on the national level. Uh, I understand whose fault you think it is. Right. I get it. But from, you know, go, going back to <clears throat> school age kids, we know that. And I, I don't think we can continually go down this road of looking at anecdotal stories or thinking about what could happen. And that's what I'm seeing now. I'm seeing here's data. There's no reason why, you know, uh, businesses shouldn't be up and running, have, you know, following CDC guidelines. We could have done this safely a long time ago. Let people, you know, if you have pre-existing conditions, we protect those people. We protect the nursing homes. Uh, let kids go back to school. Let them have a life. Let them play sport. We're causing irreversible damage, according to behavioral health experts and mental health experts. Well, it, is, a, it is an awful pandemic. So, you know, to come out, have everyone come out unscathed isn't reasonable. But how... So at what at, cost, right? How do you get a kindergartner to keep their mask on? I mean, seriously. Okay. You, you don't have any data that a kindergartner that's asymptomatic is, is spreading this. There's not a case in the world of a child giving this to a teacher. So I get it. You can make the argument that, that hey, is, it might happen. That is, this could be bad. There are teachers that have died. And part of the problem, I am very grateful that my kids, I have two kids, uh, they are young adults, and I don't have to make these decisions. But there are parents that have to go to work, and their kids have to be at a school or they can't go to work. So we need to allow a safe way for those kids to go, while those who are privileged enough to be able to work from home uh, or their kids are self-sufficient enough to be able to school from home without supervision, do so. But there's not an all or nothing here. I think the pandemic and the economy cannot be looked at as an either or. It's a both and. They're intertwined intimately. So I would ask, when, when would it be safe? When would it be safe? When's it going to be safe? We have to come up with our own metrics. I know for DuPage County and for Illinois, there are percentage metrics on death, and that's what they're using based on the medical advice they're getting. Personally, I want 100% mask compliance. Of course, that's not going to happen. Let me ask you this. Do you think the people who want to more aggressively reopen or reopen faster are the same people who are against wearing masks? What do, what do you yes. see Probably. in the community? Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. So they, the, the same people who don't want to wear masks are the same ones who want to reopen sooner. But I wear a mask everywhere I go. I want to open up. Yeah. Okay, it well, then that's that, different. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, people that object. I, I, I do think that there, there is an underappreciated, and you mentioned our country's different. We can't tell people what to do. And people are going to say, you can't tell them. 
my my wife was right from the beginning. She's always right. So I hope, I'm going to make her watch this. But <laughs> his wife the, is always from right from the beginning. It is Emily, now do you hear this? officially <laughs> immortalized. <so. laughs> right. I, I, I mean, I'm like this. That's not going to happen. She's like, and I remember her saying they're going to they're going to do shelter and stay. I said, what are you talking? I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what that means. They're going to make us stay in our home. And uh, I said, who's going to make me stay in my home? Somebody's going to tell was, you what to do. It was such a foreign object that someone like. Who is going to make me stay in my house? And I, I think that's an underappreciated, ingrained part of our culture that, especially in Illinois, when you have politicians and you start to see the contradictions of what they do, you know, gyms can't be open, but we can have gyms at a government building for politicians. People start to see those things. They get more and more cynical and they get more distrusting to the point where it's the same thing with the data. It's like, well, I'm not going to believe these people anymore. Well, again, right? I'm hearing black and white thinking. Stay at home for me. I, there hasn't been a day where I don't go out somewhere. Do I go indoors to an air-conditioned place for several hours and talk to someone this close? No. But every single day, I'm outside. I'm exercising outside. I've, we've had social gatherings outside with groups of people sitting ten, uh, six feet apart. I like it 10 feet. My husband keeps scooching those chairs closer. We all wear close. masks. We make a limit. We don't have shared utensils. It's been lovely. We've seen um, tons of friends that way. You asked earlier, how long do we, do, do we do this? We don't get out of this situation until we either get herd immunity or a vaccine, or vaccine helps us get to herd immunity. If we do herd immunity without a vaccine, we are going to see millions of people dying. If we wait for the vaccine, we are still going to be in this a long time because there are people who are against taking a vaccine. If they don't trust the administration, let's say a vaccine is rushed through before election day for political reasons, they're not going to take the vaccine. So how long do we, it's not forever. This is a temporary situation. How long it will be depends on factors out of our control. So Karen, make, what yeah. do you think is the greatest lasting impact in terms of negative impact, meaning businesses, children? What, you had a long, kind of long list of things that are being impacted. What do you think is going to have the longest negative impact um, that we're going to see for years to come? Uh, I think the kids who are going through this are going to be, uh, have a different adulthood than we did. They are going through a once-in-a-hundred-year crisis, and it will affect how they deal with things in the future. I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, my crystal ball is dusty. I think the economy is going to take decades to repair. Uh, we had a 32.9% drop in GDP. That's, the low, that's a record drop. This is a big, big problem. But when we say lockdown, not everything is closed. Many people are still working. Yes, many people are losing their jobs, and we have to find a way to use the resources we have to get people back to work, to get mental health services to those kids and adults who are suffering. With the herd immunity, in order for that to take effect, many people will have to be infected and survive um, how do you think that impacts the communities of people who are most vulnerable, people of color? Her immunity thing is interesting. I, I look at that, and and you know, from the beginning, I'm like, I, I think you know, young and healthy people need to get this. I mean, we're going to stop the virus, and that's what we're told, right? We we're told everyone's going to get this. Everyone's going to be exposed to it. I disagree we, with that, though. Well, that's what we we're told by the CDC and every politician, right? We need to we need to save the healthcare system. That was goal, right? 
you flatten the curve when right? it started. Yeah, it that started. was that was that the was messaging the that we were curve. receiving. Um, and, and so to me, that was like, well, then, OK, we'll all eventually be exposed to this and, and herd immunity will be created. Um, but then the conversation changed. It went from flattening the curve to to never getting sick ever again. We're not allowed to get sick. Um, but the herd immunity thing, when I talk about that and it's like, hey, it's an interesting thing. You know, maybe, maybe that's the way to go. Uh, and, and you get attacked. And, and it's usually from a, you know, it's interesting. People's politics affect how they feel about this virus. And if you're on one side of the political spectrum, you're going to say herd immunity is not the right way to go. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I, I don't know. Um, but isn't, and I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, isn't a vaccine herd immunity, right? So I hear herd immunity doesn't work. We're seeing reports that the antibodies don't stay a long time in the system. But we need to get this vaccine, right? So somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm not an expert on this, but I keep hearing, we're not sure, there's a big risk, herd immunity is, is not the path, that we don't keep these antibodies and we're, not gonna, we're gonna get infected twice. But the same people are saying we need to wait for a vaccine. So I, that's a little bit of... Some of it's semantics. When I hear herd immunity out in the press, what they're talking about is doing nothing and letting nature take its course. So whoever dies, dies, and whoever survives, survives. And in that model, we're talking about a million or more deaths in this country by the time this is over. A vaccine... Maybe. We don't know that. Right? Based on previous data, yeah. I mean, you're a finance guy. I'm a word gal, but... Right, but we're going back to, hey, this is what could happen. No, no. Right? It's already happened. We've seen the percentages of people who died before we started and you know mitigating. know that a million people would die. I'm not going to put that in writing, but... Do you, do you think people underestimate the impact on the body of the coronavirus? Because I think a lot of times there are people who are healthy, who get infected. Um, they're not hospitalized. Their symptoms are relatively mild. But they're discovering that, you know, kind of some of the long-term effects, there's lung damage, there's organ damage. Um, do you think we underestimate that to the point where we don't value or appreciate the mask wearing like we should. Well, again, I, all I do is I look at data and I, I scratch my head and wonder why we're doing these things. I hear those same stories. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying they're not real, but they're definitely anecdotal. And I don't think we continue to make decisions based on anecdotal or stories or something our friend gave us with a Well, this is a novel coronavirus. I have a friend who's a marathoner. She, she after, it took her 100 days to get out of symptoms. She was able to run a block, and then two blocks, she's working her way back up. She was really, really ill. This is a fit, younger person. She was not even in her 40s. Uh, over time, we're not going to just have an anecdotal data. We're going to have bigger numbers because we will have studied this longer. But again, I'm basing on what we do have, and I'm, I'm hearing we're going to have this data. Will we? I don't know. We were supposed to lose 2 million people in the country. I, I mean, some of the predictions... Uh, I, you know, Lori Lightfoot, do you remember her saying that we we're going to have 40,000 acute uh, patients within the next two weeks in Cook County Hospital? No one ever goes back and says, did that happen? And, and if they did, they could say, well, that's because we shut everything down. So it, the argument is, you know, here's all the bad things that can happen. And then when they don't happen, well, that's because we did all these things. Unfortunately for that argument, there's just a lot of evidence of different states that didn't do the things that like a state of Illinois did, and they didn't suffer the, the, the deaths. They were no worse with the, the coronavirus. And we've got kids that have been going to school in Europe since the spring and without any outbreaks. Um, so I, I don't think you can compare these 
apples to apples. You're talking about different circumstances. Some countries had full mass mask right. compliance. Some countries like China, you can't walk into a building without getting your temperature taken. And if you have they know where you're going. And know where you're going. They also know where you're they're tracking your movements. Right. We need that's the other thing um, we need to have in this country until we can get out of this is a nationwide testing, tracing, and isolation program. Because and our, our testing is way Of everyone? Below. Test everyone? Well, I think we can, we can learn some lessons from some of the things that happened in Asia because they've been through this before. This yeah. is not their first pandemic breakout. Um, and I think they learned some serious lessons because they were like, we're not going to do this again. They had a task force that was empowered, um, that provided the leadership, I think, that was mentioned by Karen earlier to take action. I, I do think that we waited too long to take action. Whatever that action was, there were too many competing interests at the top um, for, for like what you said, political reasons. I think we needed a, a group of people that was apolitical, um, where politics weren't necessarily involved, but it was medical professionals, healthcare folks who were experts in this, who don't have a dog in this, in this mm-hmm. fight. Besides, I don't want to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, because I'm essential. Um, that uh, being I, the driving force. I'm not here to defend the president. I mean, the guy's terrible, oh, know. right? But you can't pin this on him. <clears throat> the, no one would have done anything different. And in this country, you're not going to shut the, the United States down, right? And he did things early, and he was and called terrible. And we never have for, shut you know, the United States down. Tons of businesses are still operating. But I don't know what you're suggesting. I think some of this Testing language of every- shutdown and lockdown, these are very polarizing words. Uh, I know people who have never stopped working. They have been working the entire time. They're just doing it in a different way. They're doing it virtually. The people who are at most risk in those that situation are the people who have the least privilege. So a pandemic is going exactly. to it's going to press. Right? It's going to press. Who's on. winning? It's going to privilege pre- people. It's Walmart. Gonna, Big te- I don't mean it's going to press but. on the society, and what's going to bulge out are the areas of weakness. So in our country, it's disparities in health care, which is why uh, African Americans are disproportionately affected. It's disparity in who works the most dangerous jobs in this country, like the meatpacking plants, or uh, I'm trying to think of another organization where there's been huge spikes. You know, it's it's minorities. So yeah, absolutely the privileged people are able to keep working and this is mostly harming people who are less well we affluent. Yeah. Well on that note I will say <laughs> that this has been an incredibly lively conversation, which we so appreciate both of your perspectives as community members in Naperville. And I'm so glad that we were able to explore what's happening nationwide as well as in Illinois, because Naperville is a part of all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that I'm glad that we could find that little bit of common ground. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope you'll join us again. 